0: But Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to look at this long portion of Scripture, It six verses, but I want you to see these. Um, Isaiah chapter 14, we'll look through um, verses 12 through 17. We know that sin came into this world, but uh, um, the Scripture clearly establishes the fact that sin did not originate with man. Um, the earliest sin recorded in Scripture is that of Satan. In fact, Satan is the one, you say, well, Genesis was... Yes, it was, but we don't. We know that Satan is a fallen angel, and so if you look at your first blank, Satan was filled with what? What do you think that word is? Pride. He's a prideful angel, and he wanted to become his own god. in In Isaiah chapter 14 and verses 12 through 17, it says this: it "says How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning?" How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of the prisoners? You know, if you think about what Satan wants to do, he wants to destroy us. He can't destroy us physically and he can't do anything that God doesn't want him to. God doesn't allow him to, I guess you would say. Because if you look at the book of Job, what does he say? Satan is actually there. And he says, have you considered my, and God says back to him, have you considered my servant Job? He couldn't do anything that God would, he had to get God's permission to do it. And so we, we do not, we serve the Almighty. And this, this creature that we're going to study about is very interesting when it comes to sin. He's the one that first came. Look at the next point in there. Satan Satan wanted to become his own god, little G. He would never be a god with a big G. The time frame of the holy war is unknown. We know that there was a battle in um, Jeremiah 4, 23 through 27. We could look at that later. has made some wonder if part of this war was fought on some previous earth where angels may have dwelled. We know that there was a fight between the angels and Satan. And there was, he was trying to pull them out of, of what they wanted and what, where they were, and he did pull some of them out. And that was when sin was, was, was adopted because there was pride in him. And he would later, we'll, we'll get into these in, in, the, in the four points later, we'll talk about how sin entered in, into man's world. And it was, of course, through Satan. But I, wanted to, I want to get some descriptive words of who Satan is. And like I said, you guys have this side, so you've got to stay ahead of me, and you guys go to the one, you've got the Revelation 12.10. So you should be a Revelation 12.10 over here. You should be a Revelation 9.11. There's, there's an interesting word in Revelation 9.11. It's a Hebrew word. It means the same thing as the Greek word. But what is that word for those on this side? What's the first, if you've looked it up, Revelation 9.11, what is it? It starts with the A. Abaddon. A-B-A-D-D-O-N. Just like um, when you study Jehovah, Jireh, and all the different ones, they all mean something different. But they refer back to, back to Christ and back to God. Here, you've got a Abaddon. It it's talking about a, a name for Satan. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 20, what is the word that we find that Jesus is called here? What of the brethren? The accuser of the brethren. There's the accuser of the brethren. Now, we know what 1 Peter 5, 8 is. What is he here? He's considered what? Pardon? Well, I want you to go a little bit with an A. It starts with an A. Adversary. He's the adversary. As a roaring lion, it would be that, but he's an adversary. Revelation 9, 11. Has anybody turned to it? He is what of the bottomless pit? He is the angel of the bottomless pit. So we have Abaddon, we have accuser of the brethren, we have adversary. He's the angel of the bottomless pit. Now you go to the Greek word in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. What is it? Apollyon. Spelled like this: A-P-O-L-L-Y-O-N. Apollyon. One that people use in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. It starts with the B. What is it? Anybody on this side looked it up? Beelzebub. Is another name for him. You say, well, why didn't God just call him Satan or Lucifer or the devil? He has many different attributes, and and he's kind of breaking it down for us and showing us what it is. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 24 is Beelzebub. B-E-E-L-Z-E-B-U-B. Then one that I've heard of is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. Anybody look that up on this side? We're over back on this side. Belial. He is Belial. B E L I A L. His most common name is found in um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and he is what? The devil. D E V I L. Revelation, of course, gives some different words for him. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and 20, verse 2. He is called what? He is called the dragon. It's interesting when you you think of him, almost all the attributes are almost eerie. There's nothing that's lighthearted or any anything that's, oh, that's that's a beautiful name. When you think of a dragon, you don't usually think of a good thing. Here he's the dragon in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And remember Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, he is your enemy you're a Christian, he is your enemy. So we have Abaddon. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the adversary, the angel of the bottomless pit, Apollyon, Beelzebub, Belial, devil, dragon, enemy. This one you might be able to figure it out with just, just the father of all what? Lies. He's the father of all lies. It's interesting, the, the next one found in Isaiah chapter 14.4 is interesting because When you refer to this empire, it's usually referring back to him also. It's Babylon. He is the king of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 14 verse 4. Then another word that's very commonly used for him in Isaiah 14, 12. It starts with the letter L. Anybody know that one? He is considered who? Lucifer. I know there's a lot of blanks. We'll go through these in just a second. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3, he is the man of sin. Man of sin. Interesting one in Revelation. Satan is called in in Revelation 12, verse 9, and chapter 20, verse 2, is that old serpent. It's interesting that he calls him that because that's the first time we get him in, in the Bible. He's a serpent. And in Revelation, he ends up as that old serpent. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He is the power of darkness. Power of darkness. One of the more common ones also is the prince of the power of the what? Air. A I R. John chapter 12, verse 31. He is the prince of this world. He is the prince of this world. And then the, the main name we've called him and is found in Job chapter 1, and that's when he goes and he talks to God, and God calls him what? His name is Satan there, S-A-T-A-N. John chapter 17 and verse 12, he is the son of perdition. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3, he is the tempter. The one I always think of when I think of him is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 9. He is the wicked one. So let me go through those again on your left side. Here's what the, what the blank should be. Abaddon. He's the adversary. He's Apollyon. Belial. He's the dragon. He's the father of all lies. Lucifer, that old serpent, the prince of the power of the air. Satan, and he's the tempter. On the other side, he's the accuser of the brethren. It's interesting, he's the accuser of the brethren, not of the people, but of the brethren. He's the one that goes after us. He's the one that tries to do things for us. He's the angel of the bottomless pit. Beelzebub, he's the devil. He's your enemy. He's the king of Babylon. He's the man of sin, the power of darkness, the prince of this world, and the son of perdition. He's also the wicked one. If Satan were to walk in here in his normal, normal um, attire he would have us all in all He's a beautiful creature that God created turned his back on God and pride entered in and he brought a third of the angels with him it's amazing that we sometimes think we can take care of the devil if he talked a third of the angels out of heaven itself don't you think for one second he's not a subtle creature he knows exactly what he's doing I always relate this to um, buying your diamond ring at Walmart. If if you ever get engaged and you want to buy a ring, go to Walmart. Because you know what? In Walmart, in their jewelry section, they look really good. It's not until you get outside in the real light you see what they really are. And so we've got to see that God has something for us and Satan wants to destroy it. So he is the wicked one. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to see the story of the doctrine of sin when it comes into man. Genesis chapter 3, it didn't take very many chapters to get into this, does it? And then we see the story of this, and we're going to read these 13 verses. I want you to follow along with me. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, it says this, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, "Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. They weren't even supposed to touch it. It says, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Remember, he's a subtle creature in verse number 1. For God doth, not, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. A woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it to her husband with her and he did eat. The eyes of them were both open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. First of all, you cannot hide from God. And they thought they could. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, before we get into this, really realize this, that God knew where they were. He wanted them to answer him. He had known what they had done. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. This is Adam responding to him because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree thereof, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And this is interesting. This is how we, with, how we deal with sins. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me. He's not only blaming the woman, he's also blaming God because God gave her to him. She gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And this is where sin comes into the world. Sin entered the world through four successive doors. The first one is deception. The door of deception. Eve was deceived. You've got a verse in there. You don't need to turn to it. It says in 1 Timothy 2, 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. That's what that verse says. It says, listen, Adam wasn't deceived, but but Eve was. So the first door is deception. The second door of sin is delight. Eve was impassioned by the thought of being in charge of her own life. She thought, man, this might be a good thing if I get to do this. Number three. Adam was loyal to his wife over God. There was disloyalty. And fourthly, disobedience. Adam willfully, knowingly, and deliberately sinned. I don't know if you have any friends that are free will Baptists where they believe they can lose their salvation. It's interesting when you talk to them. I, I have a relative that's not free will, but she... She, she believed that you could lose your salvation, and I talked to her, and I said, well, what are those sins that you, you lose your salvation over? And There's always major sins. Um, murders, one of them. Um, if you steal, but it's got to be something big. Seriously, if you steal like a Snickers bar from Walmart, they're not going to lose your salvation, but if you rob a bank, you're going to lose your salvation. Sexual sins is another one. And, I, and I, was, I was talking to her, and I said, so you put a category on sin, how can you do that? She said, because there's some sins that are worse than others. And I said, well, let me just ask you one simple question. What sin did Adam and Eve do to get kicked out of the garden? They didn't steal anything. They didn't kill anybody. It wasn't a sexual sin. What it was was just one sin. It was disobedience. We do that all the time. When you read these four, let's go back to them, and I I want to point out something to you. Let's go through these doors one more time. The first one is what? It's deception. The second one is delight. The third one is disloyalty. And the the fourth one is disobedience. It's interesting that that's what Adam and Eve did to get kicked out of the garden. But it's exactly what we do with our sins. Right? Have you ever told somebody, you know what we like to do? We we, We try to make sins a gray area. Right? Have you ever heard someone say, well, that's a gray area. The Bible's pretty distinct on what sins are. And then you hear people say, I need a chapter and a verse. Well, there's certain things that are not going to be written out in in the Scriptures, but it's understood in the Scriptures. and We've got to get back to understanding. But the deception, you know what, sometimes we sin because we deceive ourselves. My Bible tells me my heart is deceitfully wicked. It deceives myself all the time. Oh, you can think this, you can do that, you can go there, you can say this. And and we say this in our minds so we can do what we want to do, and it's still a sin. We do exactly what Adam and Eve did. Do you not think when we sin we're disloyal? We're very disloyal. Who are we disloyal to? We're disloyal to the Bible, and we're disloyal to who who wrote the Bible, and we're disloyal to God. We like what we do. Is there sometimes you want to run your own life? Man, I have lost teenager after teenager, working with them and working with them because you know what they want. They don't want anybody to run their life. I remember I had three guys in my Bible college that left because they didn't like the rules. Brother Shoop, they joined the military. Why would you leave a Bible college and you don't like the rules and join the military if you don't like the rules? We get so wrapped up on things. We're just like Adam and Eve. All four of these doors are what we do. We're disobedient. We don't listen to what God's Word says. Well, that's for the preacher. How many sins are for the preacher? Most of the sins for preachers are for you too. You know, and then you go through all these deceptions. We deceive ourselves. We delight sometimes in sin. Look what it says after this. Eve was impassioned by the thought of being in charge of her own life. That's what we do. I think there's a lot of people that wake up the latter part of their life and then want to make up for the years that they missed. I remember preaching in Illinois one time. I was preaching to a large crowd and, they, and one guy came up to me and I think he was probably in his 80s and he said this to me. He said, you know, I was called to preach. I never did and I, and I, re, I regret it the, for the rest of my life. And I thought, how much more life do you have? I'm not trying to be mean, but you live 50, 60 years regretting what God had for you? We deceive ourselves. Look at these four things. Is this not how we, we predict sin? Absolutely it is. So how... Do we have to get past these things? 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We've got to see sin for what it is. We live in a country that does no longer call sin what it is. I know a lot of preachers and, and these big churches that can speak for 30 minutes and not offend anybody. I don't know how that works. Because I offend myself half the time when I go, so I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And I can't sit up here and smile and say everything's gonna be great because everything's not always gonna be great. We are battling this old flesh of ours, and sin will get in. We've got to to say no to the flesh and yes to Him. And so here you have this, it says, study to show thyself approved. We've got to know what the Bible says. What's the Bible say about sin? We have treated, we've changed words. I remember when certain sins were certain words. I remember when certain sins were illegal and now they're prominent. This abortion issue that's coming in, they don't want to admit that the heartbeat is a heartbeat. We are destroying our own country. We've got to understand that sin is sin. And it, and it, it, it baffles me to hear some of the people say some of the Well, yeah, everybody has rights, I understand. But you know what? They're godly rights. We've got to look to God, what what, what sin is. And here, in the verse it says, study to show thyself approved unto God. We need to know what the Bible says. And sin is sin. We can't get past that. If disobedience kicked them out of the garden, our big sin should make us really think twice about what we're doing. And that Holy Holy Spirit we'll talk about on Sunday morning in about two weeks. That Holy Spirit is always convicting me when I do something wrong. Should be doing the same thing to you. When you have an attitude, you have have a situation, bitterness creeps in. All these things, all all Satan's trying to do, he's the prince of lies. He's trying to get you to realize that you're somebody that you're not. So that people will look at you and see somebody that you're not. And Satan wants to destroy you. This is not a matter of if he wants, it's when he is going to attack. He always attacks. I can't tell you how many times there's been victory in ministry then all of a sudden, boom, Satan comes along and just tries to squelch it. I can't tell you how many times I've had victory in my life over something and boom, Satan tries to discourage you. And it doesn't take much to discourage somebody. It can just be a little look that someone gives you. It can be maybe somebody says something, does something, and Satan knows how to discourage you. Don't let him win the game. At the very end, you know what's going to happen to him, and you know what's going to happen to you if you're saved. There are two different destinies. Satan wants to do everything he can. Let's look at these verses here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I know we're going through pretty quick, but there's verses in here you can look up later. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3. It says, but I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your minds should be corrupt from the s- simplicity that is in Christ. I like, that, like this verse that says, so your minds. Satan wants you to think wrong. He is the the prince of lies. He's that old serpent. He's the tempter. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you'll see some more about Satan. And I love that Paul writes about him. So I think Paul was one of the best Christians ever to walk the face of the earth. But he has some things to say about Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 19 and 20, it says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own. The Bible verse says in 20, it says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, you've got to realize, if this is what God wants, Satan wants the opposite. Every time God wants something, Satan wants something different. Every time God has a plan, Satan has a plan. Sometimes Satan's plans are not really bad, they're just neutral. He knows if he can get you to be neutral, he's won the game. Y'all have neighbors, don't you? Anybody not have a neighbor here? You know what God wants you to be? He wants you to be a good neighbor. Satan wants you to be a neutral neighbor. I don't invite him to church. What would they think? Last time I checked, when you read this verse, your body's a temple. You need to do what God wants you to do. My Bible also tells me that I'm supposed to witness to people. I'm supposed to tell them about Christ. There's a lot of things that this Bible tells me. And you know what? It's hard to do all of them. But the ones we know to do, we need to do. Amen? <laughs> Go to First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not the Father, but is of the world. You know, we can, we can say all we want about it, but you know what? We're not supposed to love this world that we live in. There's nothing wrong with having things that you like and things that you love, but it should not be your prominent desire to have. Isn't it interesting when we want something, we finally get it, it's not all it's cracked up to be. You ever had to repair something that you liked? I remember growing up, I wanted a bicycle with the big, I don't know what they call them, the slick tires in the back. And then I wanted the monkey bar handlebars, and I thought, okay, we're going to put those on, and 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 it's going to be, it's going to change my life, change my life dearly. And I got started riding that. It was a yellow bike. It was my favorite color, the only color I could see. And it had a big flat tire, big flat um, flat back tire. I don't know what you call it, but it had a fender on it where it wouldn't throw mud on me anymore. Praise God for that. And I was driving down the road, and this guy said, Look, "Hey, come over to John's house. We're going to jump these bikes." And I remember thinking, okay, I don't know, I just put these handlebars on, and I'm not very good a mechanic, and someone was supposed to help me put them on, and I said, I can do this myself. And so I jumped the first jump. First jump, the handlebars went. This is before we wore helmets, amen? How many of you ride with a helmet right now? I just, I just don't know if I could, you know. I don't want to mess my hair up. I'm just kidding. But um, I remember going, and when I did that, my face hit the bar in the middle. Knocked my front tooth out. Now you get a bike, it's got pads all over it. We've got to protect them. It didn't hurt me. It just knocked my tooth out, amen? I got a couple dollars for it. But I remember coming up and going, wow, that, that, and that was the bike that I always wanted. What do you think that bike is now? It's probably in a Coke can somewhere. How come we always have to have these things and then these things are what we call temporal? They're not going to last forever. How many of you in here, now there might be somebody in here, how many of you in here have the first car you ever owned? Anybody in here? Usually there's one or two that have had the first car they've ever owned. Is your husband, is that one of his first cars he's owned? Okay. He has got a beautiful car. He's not in here. It is a, a 66 GTO. If you ever see me driving it, it's because I've been over at their house, stole their keys, and I'm driving around the town. <laughs> Beautiful car. Brother Shoop has, what, what What? year is your car? 47. It's a, I don't want to say Chevy because if it's, it's a what? It's a Ford. He is a, he is a Christian. He drives a Ford. Amen. All these cars, and why these cars are rare? Because most of these cars didn't make it. Because they're temporal. And and the Bible tells us that we're not supposed to, there's nothing wrong with having some of your desires. I understand that. But they're all going to vanish. Some of these things that we we hold dearly are going to be the things that our kids fight over after we're gone. We've got to see that and got to understand it. And the Bible says in, in 1 John chapter, chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can either believe it or not believe this verse. Look at this next, next part. It says, what is sin? I want you to fill in the blank here. Sin is anything that is contrary to the character of Will or pleasure of God. Character, will, or pleasure of God. That's what sin is. If it's contrary to God's character, it's sin. If it's contrary to His will, it's sin. And you know, I, I, know of, I know of people that have got out of ministry and made a lot of money. If God called them to be in ministry, they better be in ministry. But if God called them to be out of ministry, they better be out of ministry. I used to, I used to have this thought process that everybody needs to go to Bible college for one year and I think it's a good process but there's a lot of people that are hindered by that because some people go to Bible college and shouldn't be there and they destroy people. I saw a lot of my friends hook up with the wrong type of person. It really messed them up. We've got to understand that sin is anything that's contrary to the pleasure of God, what God has for us. Now let's go through these things really quick and I want you to see the six items that mark this falling short in sin Romans chapter 6 verse 16 sin is falling short of a complete obedience to God's command if you are not following God's command you're sinning complete obedience to it so one is falling short of a complete obedience to God's command second falling short is this sin is falling short of a complete submission to God's will This was very evident to me yesterday when my daughter flew back to California because God's will for her right now is California. The foreign country of California. I don't want her there. But God wants her there. And if she's in daddy's back pocket, she's not in the will of God. So submission, sin is falling short of a complete submission of God's will. The third one, sin is falling short of a complete conformity to God's moral and righteous character. We've got to follow out who God is. We've got to be like Him. If we're not like Him, we're sinning. See, God doesn't have pride and arrogancy. God has humility, meekness. No bitterness. We've got to be, be like Him so that we understand this point. Falling short of a complete conformity to God's moral and righteous character. Number four. Sin is falling short of a complete fellowship with God. A complete fellowship with God. 1 John 1 3. What is the only thing that will take you out of the fellowship of God? Oh, He'll never leave you, nor forsake thee. But that close fellowship, what is something that's in there that makes that close fellowship not there? You know what it is? It's sin. Let's put it more practical. If I don't have a right relationship with my wife, there's something that one of us have done to each other. Now we apply this to our relationship with God, it's sin that will keep us from that fellowship. So we fall short in sin, we break a fellowship with Him. We're not as close as we need to be. Let me explain what I mean. How many of you know who Donald Trump is? Everybody know who Donald Trump is? We all know who he is. How many of them is, is your personal friend that he calls you almost every day? Kay just raised her hands. Oh, she's scratching her head. Okay. Um, you're confusing me, Kay. All right. Because, you know, we know who he is, but he's not our friend. And my, I, I want you also to also go on record. Wendell was telling me this. this, is, this um, there's some preachers. Franklin Graham said that we need to pray for him today because he's getting, he's getting nailed, nailed, nailed. We need to pray for our president. Whether you like him or not, you need to pray for our president. And today is the day of prayer for him. But do you want that fellowship? Let's go back to the the time that you felt you were the closest to the Lord. Walking with him. Do you remember how that felt? Is it still there? Why is it not there? He's not changed. We've changed. And I remember, man, when, when you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, you can walk on cloud nine. Nothing will affect you. But sometimes we just kind of slowly dissipate, from Him. because of sin in our life. We don't need that fellowship broken. We don't need that fellowship spread out. Oh, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But you know what he wants us? What's the Bible say? Draw near to... God. And He'll what? Man, I want that drawing near. I want God to know that I I want Him beside me. Because with me and Him, we're a majority. And we shouldn't, and it's interesting, when you study people in the Bible, you know what their encouragement was? It wasn't their friends. It was God Himself. Study David and you'll find out David was encouraged, what? Of the Lord. In the Lord. On the Lord. We've got to have this, if we don't have this fellowship, it's because sin has crept in. And remember, he's a subtle serpent. He knows what he's doing. Let's go to the last one. On point number six. I'm sorry, point number five. It says, sin is falling short of a complete faith in God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six, trust the Lord with all thine heart, lead not to thine understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. We need to trust in him and have faith in him. Anything that's not a faith, it's not pleasing to God. And the last one is this, sin is falling short of a complete initiative to do good. We you know what is right. Amen. I know what is right. If we were just honest with ourselves and said, "I know what I need to do, but sometimes I don't do it." How many of you are like that? I am. Well, I don't know if I, I'm I'm talking to the choir here. I don't know if I should go to church on Sunday night. There is a basketball game tonight. You know how this preacher prays? This preacher prays whenever there's a basketball game. I always pray that the more people that went to church from that team wins, amen? I've always prayed that way. I don't know if it's a spiritual prayer, but I don't want someone that's heathen to win everything. But we've got to get back to understanding initiative to do good. We know what we need to do. But then we really realize in our life, in Romans chapter 3, 23, when it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory, we all all know that we have fallen short. Let's go to this last verse, and we'll go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 6, and verse number 12. You can look up 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He has just told them what he needs to put on the whole armor of God in this chapter. Then he says this, we're not wrestling against each other. That's not what we're doing. We're wrestling with principalities and powers. I would rather wrestle with people, but we're wrestling with somebody that's a lot smarter than us. He was never smarter than Christ, but Christ knew how to respond to Satan. Remember when Satan came and tempted him after he fasted for 40 days? And let me say this, he always attacks you and tempts you in your most vulnerable spot. The most vulnerable Jesus ever was was when He was 40 days and 40 nights without eating because He was a man. And Satan attacked Him. And what did, what did, how did Jesus respond to Him? Very quickly, you know what He did? He responded by Scripture. When He alone could have said, I am God, leave me alone. But He responded back to Scripture. You know why He did that? For a pattern for us for a pattern for us. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. There are people in here that will agitate you. Amen? You said that really quick. All right. There are people that maybe you're never going to be your best friend. But we don't wrestle with flesh. We wrestle with a higher being. That's Satan. He wants to destroy you. You know, I look at Landon over here. He's the bundle of energy. If you don't know who Landon is, I don't know what church you're from, amen? Right? Right. We went to his birthday party. I think it was Bobby was over there with me. and He had all these gifts on this thing. Bobby looked at me and goes, I've never got that many gifts in all my life. And he said, I'm even including the ones that I bought for myself. You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to destroy him. He wants to destroy you. He never plays fair. And I'll end up with this. You know you know he never plays fair? Because you see it in Scripture all the time. The one I always think of is David and Goliath. There's a man that's a gigantic man. He goes up to the Israelites. He says, listen, if you destroy me, we'll be your servants. If I destroy whoever you send to me, you'll be ours. This little child comes. He throws the rock, hits him in the forehead, kills him. And instantly the Philistines bowed and said, we are your servants. Is that what happened? No. That's how Satan works. He never plays fair. Be careful with sin. We can get all over Eve all we want. But we're just like her. We are just like her. And Satan knows that. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not here to tell you what your sin is. You know what it is. But I am here to tell you that whatever that sin is, you need to guard against it. Sometimes we get so used to our sin, we might as well name it. Might as well give it a nickname because it's part of our life. Satan wants to destroy us all the way through it. He wanted to destroy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent them to a fiery furnace. (laughs) Little did they know that that Jesus was going to walk in that fire with them. He 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 wanted to destroy Daniel. He threw him in a lion's den. And don't think for one second, Satan didn't want those lions to eat him alive. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world.